Hi, I'm Jean Godfrey-June, and this is Megan O'Neill. And we're the beauty editors at Goop. And you're listening to Goop's podcast series, The Beauty Closet, where we talk about all things beauty, clean, non-toxic beauty, skin care, hair care, body care, self-care, and the way we think about beauty both as individuals and in the wider culture. And today is such a cool one. We're talking to Jamie Schmidt. She's the founder of the beloved cult hit natural deodorant brand Schmidt's that also makes amazing body care, toothpaste, and home care. Jean, you've got to be psyched for this one. You're like Schmidt's deodorant's biggest fan. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I do love it. My whole family loves it, even the teenagers. It just works better than anything else out there. Yeah, you know, for Christmas this year with my husband's family, I gave everyone a Schmitz deodorant in like all these different amazing scents. And I basically won Christmas. Everyone was delighted. Everyone but one person who was skeptical, but I converted him. It's true. It's really satisfying to convert people. People have such a hard time believing that something that's healthy for your body could be good and actually work. And, you know, you're like, here, try this. Jamie's story is incredible. She started out mixing deodorant in her kitchen in Portland, Oregon, as a pregnant woman who wanted a natural option that actually worked. Fast forward seven years, seven, and she'd scaled her brand to be sold in Whole Foods, Walmart, in over 30 countries. It's it, completely nuts. And then she sold Schmitz to Unilever in that year, the consumer goods giant. Um, And since then, she's been giving back to female founders, founders of color, her adopted city of Portland in a major way. She's just an incredible woman. God, amazing. That's so awesome. Her story is so inspiring. But before we get to the interview, we'd like to thank our friends at Fortuna Skin, who are making this podcast possible. Can you imagine mixing up your own beauty product in your kitchen? The physical work of it, the slow takeover of your house, the not knowing if it's even going to resonate? No. (laughs) And starting with no funding, a little kid, a relatively new relationship. Her story is a really cool female American kind of rags to riches business story. Yeah. And the way she and her husband worked together through so much of it and still do now. Do you think you could start multiple businesses with your spouse? Well, I don't have a spouse, but me and my boyfriend as business partners sounds like a recipe for no fun. I don't think I could do it if I wanted Jesse to keep being my husband, but it's so impressive what they do. And I can't see myself mixing beauty products in my kitchen, but I did just get a milk frother in my kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) And I just have to talk about this. I didn't go to coffee shops, obviously, for many months. So I got this thing and it just like, it's life changing. It makes like a professional coffee shop level latte with like amazing froth. Everyone has to get a milk frother. Oh my God. They also, as it's getting colder, especially, I think I made you try this hot Eric, that honey. Oh my God. So good. Froth that it's like turmeric and honey and all kinds of stuff. And you froth that up with some like cashew milk. Oh my God. Hot Eric. It's also the the cutest brand I've ever seen. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, totally. Hot Eric lattes. All right. (laughs) We got to do it. Um, Okay. Should we get to Jamie? Let's do it. So Jamie, I loved your book. It's called Supermaker, Crafting Business on Your Own Terms. And it just came out this week. 
but I got an advanced copy and I think it's great. It's just this incredible, super entertaining personal journey. And then it's also how this sort of how to create your own business, how to all in one. So there's this narrative and then there's all these amazing boxes with tips and how to's. So I'd kind of recommend it to just about anyone. I truly couldn't put it down. You really get at the sort of the raw edges of what it means to have your own business, where you're you're mixing things together in your kitchen, and then some potentially huge account from overseas calls and needs five finished units by the end of the week. Did you set out to make a thriller, a memoir, and a business book all in one, or did you start from one vantage point and then move to the other? Well, first, thank you. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. That means a lot. Well, when I started it, you know, my main focus, or I guess purpose behind the book was really to be an inspiration and a source of information for for other entrepreneurs. You know, I've been through it from the ground um, all the way up to, you know, building the company to acquisition. And I, you know, understand now like everything it takes to build a business. And it's not easy, of course. (laughs) But I also knew that like, you know, the other business books out there, just like, you know, they kind of gloss over some of these things, or maybe they're written by people who've never run a business themselves. So I really wanted something that was easy to understand, that was written from a person who, you know, wasn't a serial entrepreneur, but had just, you know, kind of stumbled into business for the first time. And I wanted like all the lessons in there to really come from a place of experience. I wanted everything that I was suggesting to readers to be, you know, based in in real experience and things that I had gone through. And then the memoir piece, you know, that was um that was a fun important angle for me too because I think like especially like the earliest years of my life, I mean it's 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 a very short part of the book in the beginning, but I think it really sets the scene for like you know, what it means to like follow your passion um, and to build a brand out of like, you know, pure love. So that part was important. And I think it keeps the book interesting. You know, I did want people who uh, weren't necessarily interested in building a business to still enjoy the story. You know, that's why the memoir piece is so important. And also like, you know, Schmidt's customers, like, I, I think it's really interesting to, to learn about the stories behind brands. You know, that's something that always fascinates me. And I, you know, Schmitz has a, a huge customer base now, and I think they're going to really enjoy the story. And I think it's just going to help, um, you know, add to the, to the love that they already feel, you know, for, for the product and the brand. So building a company from almost nothing to being sold at farmer's markets to selling at Target and Whole Foods and literally more than 30,000 other locations around the world then getting bought by a giant company like Unilever all in seven years is such an incredible story. Is it hard to believe it happened? And, you know, would your family and people who knew you as a child say, oh, yeah, I knew she'd do something like this? Yeah, I, every day still, I'm just like, you know, what, like, how did that happen? You know, it just, it, it happened so fast. And I think what added to just like the craziness of it too is that I started the company when I, was pregnant. And so I was balancing motherhood along with entrepreneurship. And so just like the last 10 years of my life have just been like this whirlwind of just like becoming a new person and like learning you know, new things about myself. And um, yeah, my family's so proud. I was always, I guess, like the black sheep of the family. So I, I grew up in a Midwest, like tiny little town, no entrepreneurs in my family. And everybody, you know, was kind of like living the the ideal life, I guess, you know, like you go to college, you start your family and you never move and you're just, you know, you're happy. 
Um, and it never just felt right to me. I always knew there was more. Um, I just wanted just more diversity and exposure to new things. You know, I was always quick to move after I graduated college. So I don't think anybody was surprised by it. You know, I also had been like jumping between jobs for most of my early adulthood. And I think my parents were always a little uneasy, but, you know, had to trust in my choices. And even through like the earliest days of the business, you know, I know they were a little unsettled with the the lifestyle, you know, and, and all the risks that comes in building a business. But, you know, they were proud and always there to support me. I think, you know, the one thing that's so special specifically with my parents is that, you know, they would go into stores and stand in the deodorant aisles and, um, you know, fix up the shelves and make sure Schmitz looked perfect and and even talk to customers in the aisles and say, you need to try this product. And so, you know, they've been, they've been fans and, and supporters to, from day one and they, they're still doing it. <laughs> I love that it all started with you deciding to change your life and move to Portland and that even that initial move, as you write, was in part motivated by a personal vulnerability, suddenly having trouble with your voice. How do we learn to trust our bodies? How to like listen to our bodies? I think, you know, a big piece of it was just never allowing myself to settle, you know, with any parts of my life, whether it's relationships or my health or, you know, my happiness with where I was living. And just that, you know, commitment just was really my my guiding light through through all of life and um you know particularly with my career i in a, you know at a very um i guess pretty fresh out of college i found myself in a really stable job you know could have stayed there probably my whole life and been comfortable and but just realized it wasn't something i was loving and i you know was determined to to figure out what it was i was supposed to be doing and so just never settling has really been kind of a, a my my mantra i guess throughout the growth how do you get the courage not to settle? And how do you know that there's something out there that you want to do even more? I'm not sure that we we do always know, um, but it's really just, you know, trusting in the journey um, and understanding that if it's out there, you'll find it. Uh, I didn't start my business till I was 31 years old, you know, so I'd been through a lot. And um, I know a lot of people at that point in their lives, you know, have kind of settled in and, and figured, well, if I haven't found it now. I'm not going to find it. So I think it's just, you know, a relentlessness and a continued pursuit. Hmm. And we all have our favorite, sh- favorite Schmidt sense. Um, I certainly have mine. And uh, Megan, I know you love, you love the sensitive ones, right? I do. I love that jasmine tea. Yeah. That's one of my personal favorites too. And it was um, inspired by literally just like my favorite cup of tea. I remember one morning um, drinking it and lifting the tea bag out of the cup and smelling it and thinking this would make a beautiful deodorant. And so I sent an actual tea bag to our um, perfume house and they were able to like replicate uh, the scent using natural ingredients. And it was- Oh, I love that. Yeah, it, it always reminds me of a favorite like scent that's not clean that I you know don't wear anymore. That was just like one of my all time favorite scents. And when I smelled it, I was like, oh my god, this is amazing <laughs> that it's natural. Nice. But yeah, it's yeah. so good. It's it just smells so beautiful. But it's not it's not just the amazing scents. It's that it's natural deodorant and that that it actually works. Natural deodorants didn't used to work. And and still nothing in the space quite works like Schmitz. Like, was there a moment when you were like, oh, my God, this one works? Or how did you come upon it? I was just so determined to make it happen. And I think, you know, where the magic was is that I I wasn't on like this, you know, really rigid business plan. I didn't have investors that I had to answer to. It was all on my 
you know, timing and it was, I could take it at my own pace and had like zero, I guess, you know, expectations of me. And that is what allowed me to, to just really hone in on the formula and make it the best it could be. One thing that was really helpful was uh, in the earliest days, I was at farmer's markets around Portland. So I had a great opportunity to meet mm-hmm. face-to-face with customers. So I could get their mm. feedback. And I was so open to you know hearing from customers what they liked about the product, what they didn't, what they wanted to see done differently. So it was just you know access to free consumer insights right there at my fingertips. Cool. That's that is a really amazing point because I think we we think most innovation comes out of sort of pressure and um, you know I can't start a business I need investors I need a plan I need a timeline and yet you know making something that's different requires you know mm-hmm. <laughs> different different circumstances you know yeah um, and it's fun get that in our corporatized world. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And when I was in my kitchen, I would just sit there and think like, like, who do I think I am trying to compete with these, you know, heritage brands, these really sophisticated labs that we have at, you know, places like Unilever and uh, P&G, right? <laughs> so yeah. I'd sit there in my like tiny little kitchen and think, well, I'm doing something right. Customers are loving it. It's flying off the shelves. So I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to keep going. I heard there's also a cool story behind um, one of my favorite scents is the rose and vanilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was like truly created out of our, you know, customers' interest. Um, so I, you know, it was time to create a new scent. I had been personally formulating all of them. And a lot of it was really based on just like my own personal preferences and kind of my intuition, which continued to be validated. I mean, customers loved the scents I was making and that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it was time to to really, you know, start crowdsourcing and find out what, what do people really want. And, you know, we put out some... It pulls through social media and newsletter, just encouraging customers to respond with the scent they wanted next. And the top two answers on those responses far and away were rose and vanilla separately. So mm. I decided to put them together oh. and I thought that this sounds beautiful. And it, like I started you know, messing around with, with different oils and it smelled amazing. And I was really excited to, to release it and it ended up being our, our top selling scent. And it was just so cool that it was literally created by our customers. And yeah. but then you had the vision to stick them together instead of making two, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're both, you know, fragrances that aren't easy to achieve naturally. You know, rose. Mm-hmm. If you were to have a, you know, real rose essential oil, I mean, you're looking at like, you know, hundreds of probably like a price tag of a hundred dollars for a deodorant. Um, oh my so gosh! So wow. we were able to find strategic ways to make it happen and still be natural. So that's when we started exploring opportunities with plant isolates that you can pull from different plants and pair those together to create something that smells like the real thing. So it gets a little compli- complicated and complex, but it's it's truly fascinating. And if you, um, you know, we had the, these really talented perfume houses that I was able to work closely with to create some pretty incredible fragrances. And when did that start? The Because when you were mixing in your kitchen, I imagine you weren't using a fragrance house, but did you have knowledge of essential oils or... I just had a love for essential oils. I, you know, for mm. many years had just used them um, personally for different reasons and had um, like a closet full that, um, you know, I still have today is my little personal stash. Um, and I just <laughs> love scents. You know, I always have. And I really recognized that in deodorant, there was real opportunity to create something that smelled, you know, better than what was out there and just different. 
yeah. in 2010, when this all started, the, you know, the natural offerings on the market were basically lavender or chamomile. <laughs> um, sure. And so right. I thought there's like serious opportunity to, to get a little crazy and do things differently. And so I just, you know, just went for it and started formulating on my own and pairing things. And a big part of it too was, you know, how the scents sounded together. So not just like the pairing of the fragrance, but how it rolls mm. up the tongue. So like bergamot mm-hmm. and lime just sounds beautiful and the Lang Lang oh, calendula. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that that was, <laughs> yeah, you know, there was totally. real intention behind behind that as well. Even before that, why deodorant? Like what was so compelling to you about creating a clean deodorant? We know you were pregnant and that was important, mm. but how did that even get into your head that you needed to improve deodorant? I had been making uh, a variety of products, um, mostly for personal use and selling some of them at the markets. But once I recognized like the real business opportunity in naturals, I knew that deodorant was where you know where there was real real opportunity because customers were constantly telling me that you know they hadn't found a natural deodorant they were happy with. My own yeah. personal experience there wasn't val- validated. One. I know it was. I mean, there were a couple of brands, but they they kind of had a bad reputation. I can't tell you how many people approached my booth and would say, "Natural deodorant, it does not work. I've tried it." You know, and so yeah. that there was just like validation that okay, there's opportunity to create one, but it has to work. It was a perfect time, and it's funny today. You know, fast forward ten years, and there's just hundreds of natural deodorant brands um, trying to come up. Yeah. And it's an but interesting you're still the standard. <laughs> yeah, Schmitz is the go-to. You know, we we were the true leaders in naturals, and um, I it's I love to see the progression of the industry and you know all the the options that are out there today. Schmitz is a leader, and I, you know we always will be. And I think what's so important is that the team continues to innovate. You know, I'm I'm no longer there operationally making the deodorants, yeah. but the the team understands that you know we have to stay creative and we have to stay innovative in our fragrances and keep updating our formulas and our packaging and you know to really stay ahead. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get right back with Jamie Schmidt. I'm so excited to talk to you about Fortuna Skin. Okay, here's Kim. Schmitz works immediately for me, but there's this myth that you have to give your body a few weeks to adjust to natural deodorant. Is that a myth or is that true? I think it depends on the person. I, I've heard a number of different um, experiences. If you think about like, take somebody like my dad, for example, you know, a 70 year old mm-hmm. man who had been using uh, antiperspirants his whole life. But when I introduced him to Schmitz, he switched over zero problem. You know, it started working for him right away. He had no reactions, Mm -hmm. which was really fascinating because there's, then there's the person who, you know, maybe has been toying with different natural options, but they're still having, you know, maybe some sensitivity or the product just doesn't work or they're sweating excessively and it takes some time, you know, to adjust. And so it just really does depend. So the advice I always give really is if you're switching to natural or switching brands within natural, give your body some time to adjust. So maybe ease into it, you know, maybe stick with your current brand for a couple days a week and then, you know, try out the new one and kind of alternate until you know that, you know, you know, your body's feeling good about it and you can transition full time. Cool. Good advice. You have done, this is switching gears a little, you've done an enormous amount since selling your company, since selling Schmidt's Unilever, you've done an enormous amount to give back to other entrepreneurs, to people in Portland, investing. You know, can you sort of tell us what you're doing and, and how it all works? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What I'm most excited about right now, of course, is my book. I recognized um, you know, early on that like that was the way that I could have the greatest impact and reach the most people. But additionally, I also have an investment fund. Uh, it's called Color. And mm-hmm. I started that a few years ago alongside uh, my husband, Chris. Our goal there was to really just to be a source of investment for brands that need people that have been in the trenches, right? Um, a yeah. lot of investors, you know, they have the money to to provide and maybe a few insights, but you know, we've been through it, and that is really valuable. And especially with consumer products, you know, that's what we're most passionate about, and where we can have most impact. And then, more importantly, really, is we want our money in the hands of underrepresented entrepreneurs. There's just so much opportunity to invest in some of these communities that get overlooked. Um, mm. And the potential, you know, in their, these businesses is just huge. And it's just, you know, amazing to me that they're just not getting the money they need. And so that was at the forefront of founding Color too, was really to invest in uh, women and people of color. That's cool. amazing. What do you and, look and- for in a new brand? Yeah, it's it's hard to articulate. I think, you know, we'll know it when we've seen it. Someone that's doing something a little differently or is, you know, talking about an industry in a way that hasn't been talked about before. So, you know, instead of, you know, maybe coming up with something entirely new, it's doing it in a way that hasn't been done yet. And I think Schmitz is a great example of that. Deodorant was not a new concept. Even natural deodorant was Mm -hmm. not a new concept, but I created a formula that wasn't yet on the market. I used ingredients that hadn't been used before. And I talked mm-hmm. about deodorant in a new way, and I had innovative fragrances mm-hmm. and packaging. And so, um, you know, those are the kind of things that stand out when we look for brands to invest in. And then you've got local, specific to Portland maker organizations as well, correct? I do support a local organization here called Portland Made. Um, had ownership over it for a while and then handed that off to a woman in the community who is um, amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm involved there still. Also, um, my media company, Supermaker, which I launched um, about a year before the book, kind of to build up that community of entrepreneurs and people looking to you know build or scale their own brands. And we've done a lot through Supermaker and there's a lot more to be done. One of the projects I'm most proud of recently is the Entrepreneurial Dream Project, uh, which Chris and I created to support founders who are looking to build during COVID-19. You know, starting- Chris is your husband, by the way, right? Yep. Yep. Chris Cantino. (laughs) Yeah. He's my husband and business partner today. But we, you know, we understand like starting a business is is so hard as it is, and especially during an economic downturn and global pandemic. And so we created this program, um, they had two main goals. One was to put money in the hands of a couple of the founders to build their businesses. And then uh, we also built out this incredible network of mentors that 10, wow. 10 brands um, gained access to. Uh, so that's been fun. And I think there's a lot more we'll be doing there too. That's so cool. What are the clues that that a brand has that special something though to make it a success? Yeah. I think it's it's really all about the founder. You know, there's just yeah. a special energy that you'll see with certain companies that you talk to. And it's, you know, they may not be experts yet, or maybe they haven't, um, you know, built and scaled a brand before, and this is all new for them. But you can really sense if, you know, the passion is there and the, you know, commitment to really making this company, you know, the best that it can be. And just, a, you know, a synergy and an energy, right? Just like any other relationship in our lives, is if you're connecting on a level that just feels, you know, good and spiritual and um, in sync, then, then you know that's always nice too. That's, that's interesting. So it's the the founder almost more than the product, maybe. 
I think it's a mix. Yeah, I think it's a mix. And, you know, those founders that we still connect to, but we don't think their product is quite there yet, you know, we'll still stay connected and, excuse me, and try to support in other ways. So maybe that's through a little bit of mentorship or maybe connecting them to another fund that might be a better fit. Right. In mentoring people in sort of all those different areas you mentioned, is there advice you find yourself giving to women in particular starting out with their own businesses or advice you'd give to a woman that's starting her Mm. own business and doesn't have funding, you know, was sort of in a similar position to when you started? Yeah. I'm I'm constantly just encouraging this relentlessness in in entrepreneurs. Um, Mm. I think, you know, just building up the confidence or faking it (laughs) until you make it. And I think, you know, a, a big part of my of what I try to encourage too is just community building and just aligning with other entrepreneurs. And, you know, the more people we're connected to, the greater our chances are of having an introduction that, you know, is life-changing or business-changing. And I think now, especially during COVID, there's a lot more opportunity for it. I mean, more of us are online. Mm. Twitter's a great example. That platform, you know, has more engagement than it ever has. And that's a great place for new brands to really, you know, meet new people and be introduced to potential investors and retailers. Mm-hmm. And if if people hadn't started to respond when they did to your deodorants, do you think you would have quit? Like, was there was there a moment, or were there multiple moments where you were just so mm-hmm. close to throwing in the towel? I, I had those moments throughout the growth, but it, it truly was the you know the customer that kept me going. I I knew that like the product I was putting out in the world was was changing lives, and that people really needed it, and so. I didn't want to let him down. You know, I had to follow through with this you know, mission I had set out to accomplish. And that mission was to make, you know, natural products available to the masses. And then I'd remember, you know, what what set it in motion and how I had been on this quest for so long to find purpose in my work. Yeah. Another thing you get at really well in the book, I think, is the reality of how enmeshed women's personal and private lives actually are, whether you're doing your own business or you're <laughs> you're working for someone. And I think it's interesting that every woman's story of how they manage to do it, you know, or do it all or do it, raise children, have a career is so particular. And when men have a success like yours, there's never even a question of like, well, how did you manage having a family? You know, it's just not even, it's not, it's not part of the story. So I, I love that about the book. It made me feel seen as a woman, you know, and, but, and I know, um, I know your husband has been, you know, super supportive and a partner, you know, the whole way. Is that just how they do it in Portland or is he (laughs) unusual even there? (laughs) Well, I think he's unusual Um, in in the best way. Um, Yeah. You know, I think it also just, he believed in the mission too, right? Like he understood the potential in the business. He saw the joy that it was bringing to my life he loved the product, you know, and so all those things just, you know, together just was, it was easy for him to support it. Um, you know, it was certainly a leap of faith required on his end too, um, especially when he joined full time. So he joined the company uh, in 2014, four years after I started uh, full time. And so that meant like our mm. whole family's, you know, income and livelihood is dependent. Yeah. So that was, a, <laughs> right. that, was a, that was a great moment and just like a really like kind of a sign that like, you know, we were, we were in it. It was a validation of, you know, what we were doing, like the fact that we could even take that leap of faith and, and be all in together. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure I could do that. I'm not sure if I could or or would want to work with my husband. But you got <laughs> you guys seem to do it. I I love him too, but like that's you know that's the thing. But you guys well, seem to do it so smoothly. And I've I've talked to you both at events, and you are definitely yeah. still into each other. Like how? What is the dynamic? Like, is he the I, left brain and you're the right brain, or like, how does it work? Yeah, uh, I think a big part of it is that we met at work. We met at a different job. Um, where he had actually interviewed wow. me and then we ended up working together. And so our whole life, our whole relationship, you know, have, we've known each other on a professional level too. It's not easy all the time. I mean, there are definitely moments when I'm like, oh, having a little separation here could, could be nice. Or, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just, it's really understanding, you know, where the other one is strong and where it's okay for you to start, kind of fall back and not worry about that part of the business. That's been really helpful for us. And you know, right. we have a small family. We have one kid. He's 10 years old. And so it's such a very just intimate situation all around. Our son is so engaged in all our brands. You know, he, he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah tell him that I was, that's was another question of ours was just sort yeah. of how, how, what does he think? Yeah. He <laughs> loved yeah. it. It's, yeah, it's funny because he's such a like brand nerd now and he really pays attention to <laughs> the way things are marketed and packaged and has really strong opinions on things. And I tend to agree with most of his opinions too, which is <laughs> that is cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Was, future founder. Yeah, for sure. He's, he just, he loves all of it, you know, and with my book and um, I've been doing a lot of press events lately around the book and he pays very close attention to whether I bring up his name and, you know, that's, he, he's part of the story and he knows it, you know, he, I was pregnant with him when I started Schmidt. So he truly is, you know, one of the founders. And Born at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. And since you're no longer, you know, either mixing up in your kitchen or having that that creative sort of physical moment of creating Mm -hmm. something, do you miss that at all? Is there anything you fill that with? I do. I I do miss it. I I made. It's funny when uh, when COVID nineteen started. You know how everybody kind of went back to these like DIY. Yeah, sourdough. (laughs) Yeah, and so I was like, I'm gonna start making lotion again. You know, and I did, and it was fun. Um, but I also was like, okay, I, you know, there's a lot of good brands of lotion out there that I you know, <laughs> might shop around. <laughs> I like trying new brands, you know, so, um, you know, that's always fun for me, but I think I do have an opportunity to do more creatively. Um, mm. writing, you know, writing the book was definitely a creative outlet for True. me. I was able to put a lot of myself into that, but we'll see what the future holds. I'm excited to see what I can uncover. Well, that was yeah. sort of our final question was what's next for you just in general, um, yeah. not just creatively, but just sort of where do you see your life going mm-hmm. next? I'm really excited to start getting feedback on the book. Actually, it's already coming in. You know, it's all been really positive. People are inspired and I'm just excited to to continue to, you know, to see that enthusiasm. And I think that, you know, with that, I'm just going to continue supporting other entrepreneurs and finding other ways to, to be a resource and doing some more mentoring and things like that. And, you know, we'll see. There could be book number two someday. Book number and, two. I would know. read it. I, I Thank you. It. I really, really <laughs> loved Supermaker. It was, it's, I'm just, so glad. It's, it's one of those reads that are quick because you really, you're just like, I want to see what happens next. I mean, yeah. oh, when you're, when you're just about to sell the company, it's just, it's like a cliffhanger. It's really. Uh, it's I love that you called it like a thriller slash memoir <laughs> slash business book. I'm going to use that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was so much fun, Jamie. I yeah. love just 
it's fascinating talking to you and we love female founders at Goop. You are, you know, a superstar female founder. So it's just an honor to talk to you. Oh, thank you both. She was so good. That was amazing. I'm so in awe. You know, I'd like to say I'm inspired, but I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't have it in me. I like to write I know. Things, you know, that's what I like to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I do like working for someone, like the structure of that, you know, and the feedback. Like imagine no feedback ever. Yeah, it's interesting in her book. She's out there at farmer's markets talking to people all the time and they're giving her feedback. And Oh, it's, true. It's funny because I've heard other founders and people that have, you know, small beauty companies. And a lot of people start in farmer's markets, but, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of them are like, oh, the farmer's market, you know, it's, oh, I've got to get past yeah. that. And she was really in that phase for a while. And she really saw it as a resource rather yeah. than, a, you know, oh, I'm going to get past this phase, you know? Yeah. Like, I wonder, was the end goal for her originally, you know, what happened being bought by a giant company? It sounds like no. No. It sounded like she was just making her way and staying curious and open. And I think no matter what, you know, whether you're a founder or you're, you know, an employee of a company, staying curious and open and, you know, sort of interested in what's happening and not discounting, oh, I'm, I'm here at stage X. I need to, I can't wait till I'm at Y, you know? For sure. For sure. It comes back to like being flexible too. And open. Definitely. Yeah. Flexible and open. Oh, and true. also so cool how that question you asked about like listening to your body, like we're not mm. trained to do that, but she, her body literally like was rejecting like her, her, presentation. her career. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and, interesting. And it's hard to know what your body is rebelling against and whether, you know, but it's so worth investigating. I mean, look how it paid off for her. I mean, she not only had this incredible business blossom, but she also, because of making those, that change, you know, moving to Portland, changing her career, she met her husband, she got pregnant and had a baby. Like that one, that one problem, quote unquote, you know, blossomed into this incredible life that she built for herself. Yeah. All because of listening to her body. I, I need to do that more. I did do it once. I had a job I really hated. And I remember mm. I like went to lunch to see a friend and she was just like, you're gray. Like your, your skin oh. color is gray right now. Oh and God. I was like, and I, I, like, I believed it. I was so unhappy, but I don't think I listened. I was like, well, it's my job. But had yeah. I, maybe I'd be a CEO of something now. <laughs> we are always sort of taught to try to, particularly as women, to keep going and to keep trying mm -hmm. and to not give up. And there's this, you know, in a way you could say she, she was like, I never settled. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's, there's two competing things. Do you give up or do you settle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, totally. It's great to, to see that those things, you know, that it isn't such a black and white conversation between, um, you know, if I give up, it's the end of the world. I, I might just not be settling. Right. You know? <laughs> that is so, that's so good to keep in mind. I might, really, yeah, yeah. I'm just not settling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm standing up for myself. I'm saying this is, this is what I want to, and, and she didn't even know what she wanted. She was just, you know, willing to go on a journey to explore. I yeah. really so look up to that. I admire that too. Yeah. And I just, I also, I loved, you know, how the, the book, talked about and just her her story kind of illustrates how as women we are always our our personal is so tied to our 
professional. Um, yeah. It's always about how did you work out, you know, particularly once you, if you have kids, how did you manage that? And it's never a question with men. You're like, people don't never, people don't wonder how Bill Gates like took care of his kids <laughs> while he was building Microsoft. Um, we all know how well uh, Steve Jobs took care of his kids. Uh, yeah, totally. Right, you know? um, that's, that's so true. It's just never, not, you never think about that. Yeah. And women, you always, you want to know because you know they did have to do it. Like, you know, they had to figure it out. And we still live in a society where it is the woman's responsibility in so many ways to figure it all out. And it's great if you have a wonderful partner like she has. Yeah. It's still a thing. And horribly, I do want to know. Yeah. Like, I always want to know. I'm I'm really curious. It always makes me, I think, as even said when we were talking, it makes me feel kind of seen. Just knowing mm-hmm. that other people worked it out in some way and figured out, you know, whether it's the specifics of how they manage their childcare or just how, um, you know, the fact that they had to figure something out. Right. Makes me feel like, okay, not alone. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and so I guess that's the, you know, the more female founders we get, hopefully someday uh, it'll be less of a question. <laughs> Yeah, and when we get a when we get another guy on here, we'll you know maybe we'll ask him. We'll ask him. We'll ask see what him. He has to say. True. Very Judge true. his answer. <laughs> Judge. <laughs> well, this was a good one. It's so much fun. So on this site, I do a column called Megan tries it, and you do one called Ask Jean, and we get a whole bunch of beauty questions, and we're gonna answer them all right now, right here. So should we get into today's Ask Me Anything? Yes. And if anyone listening has a question they want us to answer, send it over to Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Here's a question from Alexandra. Must have clean beauty products if you could only have one or two products. What are the most important products to go clean with? Hmm. Okay. Now, Alexandra, I'm assuming that what what you mean when you say most important is things that have the most sort of potential health harming chemicals in them. That's what I always advise people to go clean with is things that are going to make the biggest difference for me. Uh, sunscreen is number one. I actually have three. I, I tell everybody do these three and you're good. Um, <laughs> sunscreen, chemical sunscreens are irritating to your skin and you know, you're putting them on there, you know, in, in some part to, to anti-age and to, to keep your skin healthy and you're putting something on there every day, often in, in makeup and that sort of thing that contains these chemicals that irritate your skin. So it, it seems like you're working against yourself and then mineral or physical sunscreens, it's titanium dioxide or, uh, zinc oxide or a combination thereof, those are actually soothing to your skin. So, and they sit on top of your skin rather than uh, chemical sunscreens work by sinking in. That's the reason that you have to wait 20 minutes if you apply a, a chemical sunscreen before they work. Um, they, they sink into your skin and absorb UV rays, whereas uh, the mineral ones deflect them. Um, they're more, you know, a mineral one is more akin to like wearing a shirt. <laughs> There's something that's in the way. And the tech for clean sunscreen has gotten so good. You know, my favorite is organic pharmacy. I love Beauty Counter Dew Skin for an everyday kind of like tinted moisturizer, but it makes such a difference and it makes a difference in the environment. Chemical sunscreens kill coral. Uh, The ocean has enough trouble already. So that's my number one. (laughs) (laughs) 
Number two is, well, they're, they're all important. I'd say perfume, anything, and this could be in a skin cream, in a lipstick, in an actual perfume. Conventional fragrances often have phthalates, all kinds of endocrine disrupting chemicals in them. And when you say perfume or fragrance or parfum on a, um, a beauty product label, and again, it could be the label of a moisturizer, it could be anything. And the company doesn't explain that what what's inside that ingredient, they can hide thousands, literally, and they do, of ingredients inside that one ingredient, fragrance or perfume. So um, you don't know what you're getting when you have that on the ingredient list and it's not broken out what is in that perfume. You know, I love perfume, like real perfume, perfume. And, you know, when I realized what was in it, I stopped using it and uh, clean perfume, your nose really adjusts. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you think, Megan, but I feel like, you know, now I smell conventional perfume on someone and I'm like, oh, it's kind of, oh cold. my God, I get a headache. Yeah, totally. And there's such, I mean, I love obviously Douglas Little, who who does both oh. our, our goop fragrances, but also does his, his own heretic fragrances. Um, he did the famous vagina candle and fragrance, <laughs> orgasm candle and fragrance. He's very naughty and fun and full of imagination. And, you know, it's just like, why wouldn't you go clean with that? And then the other one that's super important is deodorant. You know, it's just your underarms are such an important area. All your lymph nodes are there. Deodorant, clean deodorant now works, natural deodorants. And um, there's no reason to be using a conventional one. It just seems super gnarls to me. Yeah. What about you? I agree with all of those. And my first is also sunscreen for all the reasons you said. But also like the, I think there's still that bad rap that sunscreens have that they can cause breakouts. And that bad rap comes from chemical sunscreens, which are irritating. They're made with these chemicals that are not just endocrine disrupting, but they're irritating to your skin. So mineral sunscreen is, is just a super important one to go clean with. And, and they're so good now. Like I love, um, organic pharmacy also. And I also love Viva sauna and they, they melt into your skin. They're not chalky and white and nasty. Like they used to be, They're, (laughs) they're really good now. So yeah, sunscreen too is up there. And then like lip stuff. Like I, there's this tinted, really pretty bomb. I know you love it too, Jean, from Bomb Yard. Mm-hmm. And, and it's clean, obviously. And you want to put something clean on your lips because, you know, you're, you're eating it. Like, it's, it's crucial. Going it's like, your body very yeah, through your skin, you know, totally directly. Like, you don't want to eat the whatever is in conventional lipsticks or bombs, you know, petroleum and questionable dyes and, plasticizers. And this one is made with coconut oil and botanical extracts and dyes made from not harmful materials. So that is a super important one. And then I guess body stuff like body oil and body lotion you want to go clean with because you're putting it over your whole body. That's a whole lot of surface area. So you're, you know, you're massaging potentially toxic ingredients into your entire body, not just a small area. And then also I I just, I love body oil so much. And you're, you're getting this high concentration of plant oils and extracts, and it's even more moisturizing than, you know, something filled with synthetic fragrance, fragrance, Jeannie just talked about how terrible that is. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So those are my top three. And I just, I don't even feel like a person if my body is not moisturized and I love body oil and I love, um, body cream. Jean, you oh were like obsessed with, the, obsessed with the, the goop jeans. It's like creamy citrusy and it's so thick and like, it just, you put it on all over your body. You feel like a million bucks. Oh. So good. Thanks again for joining us on the beauty closet. You can learn more about our new podcast series at goop.com slash beauty closet podcast. We hope you'll come back next Wednesday for our next chat. And in the meantime, just tap subscribe to keep up with new episodes. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the podcast and share it with a friend. Talk soon.